Welcome to Our Lords. We're a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. We're in week seven of our series on the Apostles' Creed. We're exploring our deep roots because, friends, we do have deep roots. These are wild times, and they're times to go deep into God and into the Word of God. Really, what we're seeing is that if we'll return to our roots, we'll be revitalized. We don't have to come up with new stuff. Sometimes the church tends to jump on a trendy bandwagon and what's the latest thing? What is it? We don't have to do that. Actually, by returning to our roots, primarily in the scripture, we experience new power, new revitalization. So that's what we're doing in this series. We're going deeper into our roots. I also want to encourage you during a time like this to go deeper into friendship with each other. It takes extra effort, doesn't it, to figure out ways to connect with people. We have groups going on here right now. We'll have more in the spring. So we go deep into God and we go deep into relationship with one another. Friends, we need each other, don't we? We need relationship, we need one another, we need to lean in to that. And even if it takes extra work, we've got to meet with one another, encourage each other, pray, confess sin, do the things that Christians do with one another. So today I want us to look at a phrase in the Apostles' Creed and some of you have the handout here where we've been looking at believing in God the Father Almighty, believing in Jesus, all that he's done. We looked last time at I believe in the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to look at I believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. And what I want to do is I want to spend a little bit of time on the idea of the Holy Catholic Church and communion of saints. I want to look at a few images in the New Testament of what the church is. And then I want us to spend most of our time on one particular image, and that is the idea that the church is a people in exile. That's what we're going to do this morning. So very quickly here, I believe in the church. Connie pointed this out when she was talking. I believe means much more than just kind of giving intellectual assent to something. It means I cling to this. I pledge allegiance to this. I throw myself fully into this reality and truth. So when we say I believe in the church, we're saying I stand fully behind being a part of God's people. The word in the New Testament for church is ecclesia. And it simply means those who are called out. And scripture says that we're called out of what? Out of darkness into the Lord's wonderful light. That's what the apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 2.9. And friends, it's awesome when we say, I believe in the church. We're not saying, I believe in a building. Well, I believe in that beautiful architecture. It's not a system. I believe in that system. I believe in that set of ideas. No, friends, we're, we're part of a people. We're part of a movement. We're part of a way of life. I believe in the church. We've talked about this. What's it mean when it says, I believe in the holy Catholic church? First of all, it means that 
If you're in the church, if you're part of the Lord's family, you are holy. Paul addresses churches 60 times. He, he speaks of the holy ones in the New Testament, and he addresses the church as you are the holy ones in Ephesus, Ephesians 1. So we're holy, not because of something inherent in us, but because we're called and we're filled with and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I believe in the holy Catholic Church. We've mentioned that this doesn't mean the Roman Catholic Church when we talk about Catholic. What does Catholic mean? Someone tell me. Little C Catholic? Universal. That's right. It is the one church under the one Lord that crosses all barriers of time, place, and culture. Look at Ephesians 4, 1 to 5. I believe in the holy Catholic or universal church. The reality, the nature of the church is rooted in God. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4, 1 to 5. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. At verse 4, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. What Paul is saying here, he's saying numerous things, but he's anchoring the reality of the church in the nature of God. Look there at those verses. Look at verse 3. He mentions the Spirit. He mentions the Spirit again in verse 4. He mentions the Lord Jesus in verse 5. And in verse 6, he mentions the Father so the church is rooted in the very nature of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. This is what we believe in. We believe in the Holy Catholic Universal Church rooted in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. How about the communion of saints? What does it mean? I believe in the communion of saints. It's the word there, koinonia, that some of us are familiar with. I believe in the koinonia of saints, Christians from all time and places in communion with Jesus and one another. Look at Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, passage rather familiar to us, but maybe not in this context, the communion of saints. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, the writer says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses in the writer here is referencing the witnesses of chapter 11, the previous ones, the great mothers and fathers of the faith. Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so easily, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. At the beginning of the verse there, it's speaking about a great cloud of witnesses. Friends, as we sit here today, we're surrounded by saints. Old Testament saints, those who have died in Christ. There is a cloud 
of witnesses, people watching. And the image here is really, it's a stadium image. If you're in life, you're in the stadium, you're in the battle, you're in the great contest, and there are others who are observing and watching and praying and pleading and believing. This is what it means to be in the communion of saints. We're part of something much bigger than ourselves. Bigger than this local church, bigger than this moment in history. We're in a family line. Connie called it a Christian posse. We're part of a posse that includes people like Abraham and Sarah, Moses, Deborah, the prophet Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jesus, the disciples, the apostles, Paul, brothers and sisters and martyrs in Iran, in Syria, in China, in Latin America. Friends, we're part of the fellowship, the communion of saints, transcending all time and all places. It's a glorious thing. I believe in the church. Do you believe in the church? The unstoppable church, the people of God, even though it's made up of broken people, the Lord's behind it. He's the one overseeing. He's the one building. What I want us to do here, I want to make a few comments about the church, and then I want us to look at a few pictures of the church. The first thing I want to assert here is that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus alone builds his church. We mentioned that the Apostles' Creed is inspired by other creeds in the New Testament. And the earliest creed that we find in the New Testament is those three words. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Philippians 2.11 talks about this. Acts 10.36 says, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And he is establishing his kingdom in the hearts of people. And within us, the kingdom creates the church. Jesus is Lord, and he alone builds his church. Look at Matthew 16, verse 18. It's one of my favorite passages. I've been praying this all week. Jesus alone builds his church. Matthew 16, 18. The context here is Jesus has asked a question to Peter and the other apostles. He's saying, who do you say I am? All kinds of ideas swirling around about who he is. And Peter steps forward and says, you're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the Christ. And Jesus responds to him at verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So Jesus is saying there, I'm going to build my church on the revelation that's been shown to you that I, in fact, am the Messiah and the Lord, and I'm going to build my church on people like you, Peter. It's a little wordplay on his name. His name's Petros, which means rock. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to take someone like you, and I'm going to build my church, and you'll get to partner and cooperate with me. And the gates of death, not even death itself, can stop the fact that I am Lord and that I'm building my church. Let's quickly look at a few other images. Look at 1 Corinthians 3.16. This is one that we've mentioned multiple times. Various metaphors or word pictures of the church. 
This is one where the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? 1 Peter 2, 5, the Apostle Peter says this, like spiritual stones, you're being built into a spiritual house. So friends, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read this passage. We're not going to look at it. 1 Corinthians 12 to 27. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So we're the temple. We're the body of Christ collectively and individually. Mark 2, 20. We're the bride of Christ. You can look at that one. Jesus is saying in Mark 2, 20. The days will come when the bridegroom, he himself, is taken away, and then they will fast on that day, his people. So we're the temple, we're the body, we're the bride. Let's end with this one here, Ephesians 6, 10. We're the army of God. I believe in the church. I believe in the army of God. Look at Ephesians 6, 10. Paul uses this image or metaphor multiple times. And in Timothy, he actually calls Timothy a young soldier. He says, you're a faithful soldier in the Lord's army. Paul says this in Ephesians 6. Boy, this is pertinent for where we are right now. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Friends, the church is the most multifaceted thing happening on the planet today. It's the living temple of the Holy Spirit. It's the mystical body of Christ anointed with his spirit. It's the beloved bride of Jesus. It's the army of sacrificial love, and we get to be a part of it. Is it messy at times? Yes. People are messy. But the Lord is building and driving and moving and constructing his church through people like us. been thinking this week a lot about the church as a medium or a vehicle for God to do great things. And I'm hesitant to say this, but I'm going to say it. Amanda and I have been talking in recent years about the prophetic witness of the church and the opportunity that we have now to be a prophetic witness, to draw people together, to unify people. And I just want to say, friends, It's people like MLK, not BLM, in an hour like this. Where was Martin Luther King? Where was he residing? Where did he do his leadership? In the heart of the church. I think we've got to rediscover that. Some people might say, well, Brock, you don't have really any authority to say this. You're not a person of color. And I can point to history, and I can say I've seen it work. I've seen people like Martin Luther King Jr. who stepped forward and said, I believe in the church. 
And I believe that the church can be a prophetic witness to the nations and draw people together. So I encourage us to pray and long for that. We're going to be part of it. I'm not sure how it's going to play out, but I had a, a vision three years ago when we first came on, and I, I saw this church made up of all kinds of people from different tribes and nations. It's going to happen. I'm not sure how, but the Lord's going to do it, and we'll get to be a part of it. The church as a prophetic witness. The scriptures reveal this, don't they? People worshiping before the throne from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. I want us to do something here as we focus on this central part here. I want us to focus on the idea that we're a people in exile. So when we say, I believe in the church, we're saying, I am a part of God's people in exile. Man, tough to do in a moment like this with everything going on. But I'm sounding a wake-up call, really. If we're not awake already, it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. We are God's people living in exile. We're living in a spiritual Babylon right now. I'm not saying this. Doomsday alert. Live in fear. But I am saying that the American context is shifting significantly. You with me? Tectonic shifts happening right now. And we have got to wake up like never before. And pray and fast and be God's vigilant people in exile. It's going to make a little more sense in a moment when I explain what that is. But we pray and long for a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We return to the Lord, all of these things. But we acknowledge at the same time that the world we're living in is vastly different than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. It just is. So this metaphor here of being a people in exile is pertinent for us. What in the world do I mean by exile? The scriptures talk about it quite often. The Old Testament talks about 600 years before Jesus. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came in and laid siege to Jerusalem and deported all the Jewish people. It's around 597 is when it started. They were taken to Babylon and they lived there for a generation until another king came and defeated Babylon. So the prophets took this image after this event and said to the Jews, you're an exile people. You may no longer be in the land. You may no longer have a temple, may no longer have a tabernacle, but you're still God's people, God's exile people. And the New Testament authors pick this image up, don't they? And they talk about us being exiles on the earth. I'm just going to read some of this. Just close your eyes and listen to this. This is the New Testament authors picking up these images from the Jewish people when they were uprooted from their land. And the apostles said these kinds of things. Just let it enter your spirit. We are exiles on the earth. 1 Peter 2. 
as God's Old Testament people were in Babylon. We've been transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved son, Colossians 1. Our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, Philippians 3. Here, we have no lasting city, but we are looking for the city that is to come, Hebrews 13. We know that we are God's children and that the whole world lies under the power of the evil one, 1 John 5. But the Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil, 1 John 3.8. So friends, we're exile people. We live in between the times, between Christ's first coming, his first coming and the second coming when he'll rule as king. We're in this place of exile, whether we're in America or another context, and it's increasingly post-Christian. You agree with that or not? Again, I am not pouring fuel on hopelessness. Can God do anything? Can God visit us in this hour? Can God bring mighty outpourings of the Holy Spirit? You bet. Do we long and pray and fast for such things? Yes. But part of it is to wake up and look around and realize we're not in Kansas anymore. Something has shifted. Something has changed the whole discourse. The, the church is not at the center of public discourse anymore. We're, we're in the margins. Now, it doesn't mean we're less effective at all. It just means that we have to acknowledge the reality. How do we get here? Geez, I could unpack this for some time, but, but friends, getting to this moment of exile, many, many, many things have happened. I've talked about it before. You've probably read about it. The Enlightenment in the 17th and 18th centuries, really the ultimate goal of that movement in the West, in Europe, in America for that matter, was to replace God with human reason. That was the goal. Good things came out of this window of time, but ultimately that's what it led to. We've got to supplant God and place humans and human reason. Human beings are the center of the universe. This is part of the history that brings us to this moment, this place of exile. Secularization, separation of the, of the state from religion, but it actually became anti-religion. The sexual revolution, what began in the 1960s, hippies, free love, it's changed a little bit, friends. It's devolved into a militant agenda that scorns traditional marriage and family and seeks to normalize the alternative, as well as justify and normalize things like abortion. 62 million American babies put to death, including 23 million black babies. Friends, I'm just trying to give a little snapshot here. We're in exile. The times have changed. Things have changed. We've got to wake up. We've got to look around, dig deep. We're in a new context. These two words are getting lots of press now here. Socialism, Marxism. 
currently doing quite a bit of reading. Anybody else learning some things about socialism, Marxism? Let me just see. We should. I'm reading a book right now that just came out by a professor named Paul Kangor, and it's called The Devil and Karl Marx. Communism's Long March of Death, Deception, and Infiltration. Again, this is not intended to be heavy at all. It's intended to wake us up. We're living in a context right now where socialism and Marxism is trying to take control. So we have to know the enemy's schemes and plans. Socialism sounds fun, doesn't it, for some? Hey, let's share our stuff. We can all be equal. It always leads to communism. Always. I'm reading a guy named Solzhenitsyn. I know, Kyle, you've read some Solzhenitsyn. He's a Russian man who lived through the socialist and communist emergence in Russia and Eastern Europe, and he gives a warning to the West and says, just look around, be vigilant, dig deep, counter this, particularly through the church. So in view of this, we're people in exile. Certain things we can do. Do you know how difficult it is to address this stuff right now? I prepare this, I feel kind of the lead blanket that the enemy keeps trying to put over the church. We refuse to wear it. Amen, do we? We will worship, we will gather, we will dig deep, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper, we'll evangelize, we will be God's joyful people in the midst of this. So if you hear what I'm saying today, I'm saying I believe in the church. Do you believe in the church? Do you believe in God's people? Do you believe in the kingdom of God that creates the church? We're going to be tested in the coming days. And I just, I feel obligated in this moment to speak truth and to call us to wake up and at the same time to say we're going to be joyful. We're going to be happy in God, just like they were in the New Testament. You throw us in prison, we're going to sing worship songs there. We're part of the unstoppable kingdom. Certain things we can do here. I'm going to click through these, and we're going to have ministry time. Boy, do I feel inadequate, just to be honest. One thing we do, which we're looking at right now, is returning to our ancient roots. Return to our ancient roots. And I think we're looking for like a monastic spirit of fiery devotion. That's a mouthful, isn't it? The word monastic means singular focus. And so here at Our Lords, I want us to have that kind of spirit. We're people of prayer. We're people of fasting. There's a fire that burns within us at all times, and we cultivate that. We tend it each day. A second thing we do, in addition to returning to our roots, is we cultivate community. This is key for us, isn't it? This is the essence, this is the heartbeat of the church. We cultivate community, we value, we prize, we help nurture relationships and marriage in family with friends. This is how we experience the Lord. If you're, if you're on your own, if you're atomized, if you're 
off alone, come join us. Dig deep with us. Relationships are work, but it's something that we value here immensely. Community. We cultivate community in those areas. We cultivate community, obviously, through church, what we're doing here. Spiritual family, as I mentioned, a prophetic witness to the world. Look at Acts 2.42. How are we to live as God's exile people? Well, Acts 2.42 shows us. This is one to meditate on and ponder and tattoo on your mind. This is a glimpse into the early Christian community with everything that was going on around them. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. What I call AFBP. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And we're part of this, friends, an apostolic community that started here. We devote ourselves to these things. We cultivate community. And then part of this is engaging regularly in spiritual exercises. If this interests you, I encourage you to revisit. We did a whole series on growing in Christ, and we looked at some of these spiritual exercises. The prayerful reading of Scripture every day, carving out time to read a little bit of the Bible and to pray it. Not just read it and check it off, but take a passage and pray it back to the Lord, meditate on it, turn it into prayer, turn it into arrow prayers, and then carry it in your heart with you through the day. Prayer and fasting, learning these things in a moment like this. Fasting is essentially self-denial for a greater good. It's learning to say no, sometimes to even good things, and yes to God. When I try to fast, and friends, it's tough. Anybody else is fasting tough for you? Yeah, I mean, sometimes it, not sometimes every time, but I'm trying to, I've shared, I've tried to carve out a little bit of time each week, maybe a meal, maybe two. And during that time, I pray passages from the scriptures. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. This kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. Spiritual power over the enemy. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will inherit the kingdom. Friends, I'm inviting you as God's exile people. Return to our roots. Cultivate community. Engage in these kinds of spiritual practices and exercises. Time to prepare. Prepare ourselves spiritually. Prepare in other ways. Why don't we stand? We just say, Lord Jesus, that we believe in you. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in your church, in your people. 
thank you that we get to be your church, your people in this hour. Lord, we quiet ourselves before you. Would you speak to us? We're your people, Lord. Pray you'd fill us with joy, Lord, that we would be your happy, joy-filled people, just as they were in the New Testament, in the early church, Lord. You love us. We love you. We're filled with the joy of your presence. 